He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. You were with Antonin Scalia a lot as a clerk, as a colleague. Do you think Antonin Scalia would agree with you? I I, I, I do, Craig. Oh, what a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, January 6, 2023. We have a remarkable show. How about that soundbite? That was Judge Ludig from last week. He was on talking about Justice Scalia, the late Antonin Scalia, who is a role model to so many members of the conservative U.S. Supreme Court. Well, they follow what Scalia would have done. Is Judge Ludig right? I want to play some of the highlights of that interview and analyze it for you because I've been thinking about it all week. The U.S. Supreme Court has taken certiorari, which means cert, which means they are going to hear the Colorado Supreme Court case February 8, 2024, oral argument, Washington, D.C. I feel like being there. I doubt I could get in. But who knows unless you try. This is American history unfolding out of Colorado. And when you listen to Judge Ludig, you realize how much of this happened right here in our centennial state. I have a great guest today. Corey Hutchins is all about Colorado. He teaches at Colorado College. He also chronicles the media events here in Colorado. Subscribe to his Substack. Look at my show notes. He does the year in review in the Colorado Sun. It's been going strong several years running. Unfortunately, Colorado media not going that strong. We talk about the trials and tribulations of Denver Talk Radio, the belly of the beast. I was in it. Salem Media has helped create an environment where people think, Donald Trump's more religious than Joe Biden. Joe Biden gave one of the greatest speeches ever on January 5, Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. He was filled with righteous indignation at Donald Trump's treachery, his insurrection. We all saw it, is what Joe Biden said. That's what I said in my column. That's what Judge Ludig liked. And you don't need a criminal hearing Our troubadour Dave Gunders and I talk about it at the end of the show with his great song, Whatever the Future Holds. This is our first episode of the new year, the consequential year, 2024, and it's a doozy. And I don't want to get too far past what happened last week with Judge Ludig. All around Christmas, I published that column just before Christmas, and I got that email, and frankly, I missed it from the judge. Maybe it went to my junk, whatever, but then he DM'd me on Twitter, of all places, X, and he said, did you see my email? Then I saw it, and I reached out to him, and hell, he described how he found me. 
What's going to happen next? What's your reaction to the Colorado Four? And how would you assess their opinion? Well, thanks, Craig. Uh, you know, first thing I want to tell your listeners is, is that uh, I found you. You didn't find me. And I want all your listeners to know that I just happened to, to read uh, your column about the uh, Colorado Supreme Court's decision. And I thought it was so beautifully written as a proud Coloradoan that I, I reached out to Craig. Uh, to congratulate him on uh, on his beautiful article about the Supreme Court, Colorado Supreme Court's decision, and ask if we might uh, not have coffee someday and and just get to know each other better. Uh, that's how I was so impressed I was with Craig and and uh, and his work for the Colorado Sun. Now here's the thing about John Ludig: Donald Trump has already complained as it approaches the U.S. Supreme Court that, one, oh, the conservative judges I appointed are going to bend over backwards. Maybe they're not going to rule in my favor. That's right. Alina Hobbit trying to work the refs, saying Kavanaugh owes them. That could be counterproductive. She's not that smart. I play her soundbite when I talk to the troubadour at the end of the show. But right now, I want you to know what an original... Ronald Reagan, original gangster Republican Judge J. Michael Ludig is. He was targeted for the U.S. Supreme Court. Everybody consulted him, including Justices Thomas and Alito. He worked with John Roberts. He's connected. If you don't believe me, listen to him. It is It is under the former, former President Ronald Reagan's administration that the conservative legal movement began. And it was it was really sponsored by then uh, Attorney General Ed Meese, who was uh, uh, Ronald Reagan's close friend from California. and uh, and then then he reached out uh, to uh, then judge and then ultimately Justice Antonin Scalia. And uh, and and the two of them are are really two of the of the several leading figures that that I believe started the conservative legal movement back in in, in the early 1980s during the Reagan administration. And uh, uh, in those days, for instance, I, I was in the White House, um, but my my close friend, John Roberts, who is now Chief Justice of the United States, was also uh, in in uh, the Reagan White House with me in, in the counsel's office under then-counsel Fred F. Fielding. And then subsequently, uh, John and I both went uh, over to the Department of Justice. Um, I, I headed the Office of Legal Counsel and was a uh, counselor to then-Attorney General uh, Dick Thornburg, and John uh, became Deputy Solicitor General of the United States under then Solicitor of the Gen of the United States, Kenneth Starr. And so that's where this all began. And then I got the nerve to ask him, what would Scalia do? And here's the longer exchange. And I think this is newsworthy and maybe impactful because just maybe 
the U.S. Supreme Court will say, Donald J. Trump, we too saw what you did. In fact, it was in our city, down the street. The Capitol and the Supreme Court, they're just across the street. It was bullshit, Donald J. Trump. You're off the ballot. I dream about that. Those words in Section 3, at the time of the framing of the 14th Amendment in 1868, confirm beyond any question that the former president uh, is to be disqualified under Section 3. And uh, you were with Antonin Scalia a lot as a clerk, as a colleague. Do you think Antonin Scalia would agree with you? I, 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 I do, Craig. But more than anything, it's such a cool part of American history happening in Bell, Colorado, exactly three years ago. Isn't that amazing? It was January 4th when Richard Cullen, who's an American attorney currently counselor to Glenn Youngkin, he was the attorney general for Virginia. Did you know that? And he was U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia, and he worked for a long time with Luddig and then with Vice President Pence. And Richard Cullen is a hero in all of this. And it happened in Vail, Colorado. We praised Elizabeth Ludig last week. And J. Michael Ludig, what a hero. The cool thing is this story happens in Colorado. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you, Your Honor. You saved America by... Uh, using technology to get a message to Mike Pence. That's what you did in Colorado, right? Colorado figures in you saving America, correct? The, the former vice president's uh, uh, lawyer uh, reached out to me on uh, first uh, on the evening of January 4th. And my wife and I were here in Colorado for the holidays. And uh, and my three friend, years ago, uh, long three time years friend, ago, yes, during Richard the Cullen, Christmas break. Go ahead, I'm sorry. And by the way, the vice president was here in Vail over those holidays. Uh, and uh, but in any event, Richard Cullen, my friend, uh, asked me, uh, he calls me Judge, which is fine. And I said, uh, he said, Judge, do you know John Eastman? I said, Yeah, I do. And he says, well, what do you think about him? And I said, well, uh, John is a uh, uh, is a, a brilliant constitutional lawyer. said he's a professor. He's an academic, not a practitioner, but but he's a, a, a brilliant scholar. I said, why, why do you ask? And, and Richard said, you don't know, do you? And I said, no. And he said, well, uh, John was in the Oval Office today with the president and vice president telling them both that the former president, the, the, the vice president, could uh, effectively overturn the election two days, a day after tomorrow. And I said, uh, I said, Richard, uh, you can tell the vice president that I said he has no authority and no power whatsoever to do that, that his only uh, uh, power under the Constitution of the United States is to to accept and count 
the Electoral College votes as they had been cast and transmitted to the Congress of the United States. And Richard said, he knows that. And I said, well, okay, there's nothing else that I can do. Um, but if you, if I can help in any way, let me know. So when I hung up that call, uh, Craig, my wife, who, who was listening, you know, to to my side of the of the call, said, "Oh my God, what's going on?" And I told her, and she said, "Mike, you have to stop this. You must stop this." Do you have any idea what this would do to America? And she was, you know, she was tearing up. And I looked at her and and she was like pleading with me to do something. I said, "Hun, my wife of 40 plus years, Craig, I said, this just doesn't have anything to do with me. There's nothing in the world that I can possibly do. And she pled with me until we went to bed that night that I had to do something. And I pled with, back with her that there was just nothing at all that I could do. Well, the next morning, I get up early in, in the mornings. And the next morning, I would have been up before five. And somewhere shortly after five, I was having coffee. And Richard called me back and said, Judge, we have to do something immediately. And I said, well, what, what do you, what do you even, what do you mean? And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, if you don't know what we have to do, how am I supposed to know what we need to do? He said, we've got to get your voice out to the country sometime in the next hour or so. And I said, Richard, I I don't even have a single thought as to to how to do that. I I literally said to him, Richard, I'm retired. I just uh, retired from Boeing a year earlier, almost to the day. And uh, uh, I said, I'm here in Vail with Elizabeth and the kids. I said, I don't have a platform. I don't have an office. Uh, uh, And I... I literally said to him, though this was the most serious conversation that I've ever had in my life, Craig, I said, uh, Richard, I don't even have a box of stationery. I said, and if I were to write something out on a, on a, on a piece of stationery, no one would care one whit what I had to say. And he said, I'll call you back in five minutes. So I continued my cup of coffee and he called back in five minutes. He said, have you thought of anything? I said, no, Richard, I haven't. He said, I'll call you back in five more minutes. And uh, he called back in five minutes and he said, have you thought of anything? I said, no, I haven't, Richard. I said, I, I really don't have any idea even what you want or, or much less how to do it. He said, time's very important, Judge. Uh, I'll I'll call you back in 10 minutes, but we have to do something very quickly. So he calls back in 10 minutes and, and, and he said, have you thought of anything? And I said, Richard, 
I set up a Twitter account a few weeks ago, but I, I don't know how to tweet. And he said, perfect. Absolutely perfect. How quickly can you tweet something? And I said, Richard, what did you not hear? I, I told you I don't know how to tweet. And he said, you have to figure it out and you have to figure it out now. And I said, he said, call me back when you've tweeted. And I said, well, Richard, I'm not going to tweet anything at all, not one word, unless the vice president of the United States approves it. I said, you know, this is an historic moment, if there's ever been one. And if you think that I'm going to say one word that he doesn't approve, you're, you're out of your mind. And he said, uh, whatever you say will be fine. And I said, no. I said, I will not do this. And he said, I'll call you back. So he called me back in three more minutes and said, the vice president will be fine with anything you say. And he does not need to, to see it. In the meantime, since uh, Richard's first call to me that morning, uh, I had typed out on my iPhone what I would say. Uh, and uh, after that last call from Richard, uh, I went down to my office here in, uh, in, in our home in, in Vail uh, and essentially transposed from the iPhone uh, to Twitter uh, what, what I had originally written on my iPhone and wanted to tweet. So that's, that in itself is a, is a story for, an, uh, for another day, but it was very, very difficult for me to figure out how to tweet. Um, and then but, you, you had to get your son involved, and was yes, there a yes, FedEx yes. Kinkos and Bale involved? And you were, come on, Judge, you got to get with modern technology. Did you know that you were limited to, what, 180 or 240 characters? Well, I didn't know anything like that then, Craig. But to your point just now, that's what my son said when I called him and said, help me. He said something like, Dad, you know, you and mom are Neanderthals. You, I've been telling you that you have to learn this stuff, and I just don't have time uh, to help you anymore. Uh, to which I said, let me tell you something. You either help me right now or I'll cut you out of the will or something. Oh, and, boy. Uh, That's uh, a crisis. But, you know, everybody's been giving you credit as an American hero. You've revealed that the real hero is Elizabeth. Am I right? Keep going. Yes, in, in in my story, the hero's Elizabeth Craig, um, because she is the one who, in 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 a way that only a wife of many many years could do, pled with me to do something that I had to do something. Uh, uh, if if America was not to be uh, thrown into a constitutional crisis, and you look in your wife's eyes of forty plus years, and you see the fear, and and you see the the want for you to do something, um, 
and it's just not an option to say no to her. And uh, so, yes, in my book, she's and she's borne the brunt of all of this for for our family for three, three years now, uh, Craig. Sometimes you need courage in this world. Donald Trump is threatening retribution. The Colorado Four, the four majority Supreme Court opinion writers, did not put their names on the opinion. They did a per curiam, probably wise, as I wrote in my column, given that everybody gets threatened by Donald Trump, like Ludigas, born the brunt of that, along with his family. And now the U.S. Supreme Court contemplates all that, and Judge Ludig wanted all of us to know the courage that he found in the Colorado Supreme Court, not just the wisdom of their decision and the legal beauty of it. It follows the law. It explains it. No, it's not a criminal trial. It's a civil procedure. They used a standard of clear and convincing evidence. Donald Trump participated. He called witnesses. He made arguments. He lost. He can't claim now, hey, it wasn't fair. It was fair. He committed insurrection. That's what was found. But it's not that easy to just say that out loud, right? You get threats. There are Trump enforcers all around. Listen to Judge Ludic talk about all of this. One point I wanted to make about the Colorado Supreme Court's decision that we, we, we never make, and it's because there never is occasion to make the point, but the Colorado Supreme Court's decision was a, a decision of courage. It was judicial courage to interpret the 14th Amendment in the way that it did, knowing, knowing full well that from the moment the decision issued, it would throw the country into temporary chaos and more relevantly to the point I'm trying to make, it would invite the very kinds of threats from the former president and his supporters that uh, have come to be since the moment uh, the, the, the court's decision came down. In other words, your listeners need to understand what happened when their Supreme Court decided this question of constitutional law. Many, many followers instigated by the former president have threatened the justices and their families with their lives. That is unacceptable in the United States of America. If this continues much longer, we will not have an independent judiciary, and we will no longer have the rule of law in America. I could not agree more. And I've used my Colorado Sun column to rail against the threats against prosecutors. He put a baseball bat picture 
next to Alvin Bragg's head, the things he said about Jack Smith and the judges, it's outrageous. And you've borne the brunt of it, and uh, it's just disgusting. And the Colorado Supreme Court decided to issue its opinion per curiam. You are the judicial expert, but isn't that normally for a more routine matter? Here it seemed that nobody wanted the pride of authorship or maybe the attention of authorship. How did you take it that they did it per curiam? We likely will never know, Craig, but it is a reasonable inference that they issued a per curiam opinion you know, so that no one justice would be identified as the author of the opinion because they understood full well that that justice, you know, would be vilified, attacked, and threatened, just like all of them have been today. I know. Gosh, what a story, and what a difference his tweet meant, his post on X. Back then it was called Twitter, and now he's kind of expert on Twitter. And as he retweeted me and he praised his appearance on my show, I picked up so many hundreds of new followers on Twitter, and 450 people retweeted Judge Ludig's tweet about me being a proud Colorado guy. Gosh, it's one of the highlights of my life. So proud of that. Proud of Judge Ludig, but not that tweet. And then Vice President Pence cited it in his letter to the nation. Hear all about it last week. Gosh, this was great. This is American history. I was a prominent conservative jurist for many, many years and and was uh, honored to be considered uh, for appointment to the Supreme Court by um, President uh, George W. Bush in 2005. So I, I've been well known uh, as a conservative lawyer uh, really since 1980. Uh, so what are we talking about? 44 years at this point. So um, I was honored honored beyond words that the vice president reached out uh, to me in that that moment, grave moment of American history. Uh, and, and I will always be honored that he, he did so. Well, let's uh, tell the happy part of this story. When you saved America, really Elizabeth did it, but you got your tweet out there with the help of your son, and then I'm on Twitter at Craig's Colorado, and I think I read it that day. I didn't realize the significance, but what was it? What did you hear afterwards? How viral did it go? And when did you realize that you and Elizabeth had uh, saved America from Mike Pence rejecting the Electoral College votes? So I, I'm not going to respond to your gracious uh, thoughts just now. Uh, Craig, but 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 here's the story. So uh, I tweeted it, and I I had no earthly idea, Craig, what I had done, what 
whether anyone in the world would ever see it. Remember, I had just started my uh, Twitter account a few weeks earlier. I can't imagine that I would have had more than a hundred followers of that. And, um, uh, and it was surreal. Uh, five, no more than 10 minutes later, Richard called me and said, judge your tweets on the front page of the New York times. And I said, what? And he said, I'll send you a copy. And I said to Richard, Richard, just leave me alone and hung up. I said that because I was like, I had no earthly idea, but they did. Somebody did. Uh, and because that tweet went straight to the New York Times. Uh, and within moments, uh, I was getting call after call after call from uh, national media and, and, and many of whom were friends of mine. And they would ask, Judge, what did you just do? And I would say, well, what do you mean? And they'd say, you know what we mean. And I said, well, I don't, I don't really know. What are you talking about? And they'd say, the tweet. Why did you, why did you just tweet that? Uh, and Craig, to, to, to my good friends in the media, you know, I never, ever lie to any person at all. But to my good friends, I, I said, if there was anything to it, I would not be at liberty to tell you. Um, and, uh, and then it just, it went crazy. So, um, so then fast forward to January 6th, the, the day of the attack on the Capitol. And, uh, I'm working in my office here where I'm sitting right now. And, um, I get two emails in rapid succession from two of my, uh, clerks. And they're both to the effect of, Judge, what are you doing? So I responded and said, well, Elizabeth and I are just out here at the holidays in Vail and, and you know, just enjoying ourselves. And they each wrote back and said, no, Judge, what are you doing? I said, I don't even know what you're talking about, guys. And the, the both of them wrote back and said, the vice president of the United States is on his way to the Capitol right now. He just released his letter to the nation saying that he is not going to overturn the election. And he cited you. And I said, guys, I am shocked out of my mind. I had no earthly idea until you just said this. Can you send me a copy of the letter? And they did. So, Craig, that was sort of the ending to the tweet. I never had any idea whether anyone in the world would see it 
let alone whether the vice president of the United States would cite me in that letter to to the nation. And then to be part of introducing Judge Ludig to the podcast world, I think he's natural for long-form podcasts. After me, he was on with Allison Gill and Andy McCabe on their excellent podcast called Jack, Dealing with All Things Special Counsel. It comes out on Sunday. My show's on Saturday. Next Saturday, I have Ben Myselis. Oh, my goodness, is he great. His Midas Touch Network, his podcasts in support of democracy. He's a smart lawyer. He surrounds himself with other smart lawyers and his smart brothers, and they put out amazing podcasts. But I got Judge Ludig. Listen to the end when he says he's not really sure what a podcast is. He's learning. Much of the country was up in arms when the Supreme Court denied expedited review. Uh, and in that night, I went on a couple of television shows to explain that in all likelihood, the, 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 there will be no delay or very little delay in the March trial of the former president uh, for his conduct in and around January 6th. And what we're seeing literally today is is the process to expedite the D.C. Circuit's consideration and decision of that question. And I think I even said on television that night that uh, I, I expect a decision from the D.C. Circuit no later than March 1, in time for the, uh, the trial to begin on, 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 on schedule. Nice. And, 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 and if that were to, 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 to be the case, I would expect the Supreme Court of the United States to deny review of the D.C. Circuit's opinion if it were to hold that the, that the former president is not entitled to immunity. And it's going to collide with the Colorado case, too. It's so fascinating. You've talked about being a conservative icon, and we've alluded to these threats and the violence, the specter of violence that can break the judicial system. It used to be my observation that people in that branch would stick together, right? They see the common threat. If you and I can see it, Surely they must feel it. And I'm wondering about these Supreme Court justices. I didn't realize you worked that closely with John Roberts, but at w- I think I put it in my column. You know, it's time to shed the tyrant. This is their off-ramp. Will they take it? I will leave that question for you and and, and, and your listeners. And then, of course, ultimately, for the Supreme Court itself. But don't they have to worry about being threatened? I mean, what have been the repercussions on you? You were famous before all this, but now you're 10 times more famous. I love you for what you did. You stood up for principle. You cast aside any, uh, you know, political analysis in favor of being a lawyer. Don't you think lawyers have a special responsibility, but not everybody speaks up because Donald Trump is talking about retribution. What do we do with that, Judge? How has it affected you and your family? 
Well, you're exactly right. And, 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 and this is perhaps the greatest threat to uh, our democracy right now, Craig, is that threats, literal, actual threats, and then the, the very public threat of retribution by a former president of the United States of America in the event that he is returned to the White House by the American people. He will exact retribution against his political opponents. That's unprecedented in American history, and it must remain unprecedented for the remainder of our history. America cannot tolerate this kind of behavior in anyone, anyone, let alone a president of the United States. I would think that every Supreme Court justice would agree with that and be aware of what you are experiencing and the words of the presumptive GOP nominee. You were affiliated with these people for a long time, and so was I. I mean, I've always been kind of caught in the middle, but I worked at a conservative radio station, and, you know, I've lost friends over this. I, I don't want to be friends with people who would support that kind of behavior by Donald Trump. What's it been like in your world? Have you lost friends, family? Does it matter? I think one of the most tragic things about all of this, Craig, is that families have broken up. Brothers and sisters have parted ways. Parents have parted ways with their children. And on and on through extended family, friends no longer speak to each other. Friends of 30 years, friends of a lifetime, no longer speak to each other over Donald Trump. I know. What happens to the Republican Party now? I mean, it's been taken over. Is what? What does the future hold, Your Honor? Well, there, there. You know, I, I, I said this to, you know, earlier, as you know. There is no Republican Party today, Craig, period. Since you're an honorary Colorado guy, what about Lauren Boebert? She says she's part of the Republican Party. Is that why it's dead? Yeah, I don't, you know, as you know, I don't do politics. Well, you don't need to. Let me withdraw the question. I really would. But what about our Constitution? Is that still working? The answer is is it remains to be seen. As I have said about the Colorado Supreme Court's decision, it is a test of America's commitment to democracy, to the Constitution, and to the rule of law. And we better not fail. We better not fail, Craig. We better not fail. 
Judge, I'm not going to fail to thank you for this extraordinary opportunity. You are such a fascinating man, and you've been through, you know, a lifetime full of experience that has yielded wisdom. And I'll just get back to that point. Since we both graduated at state law school in 1981, and I take a lot of pride in my profession, I think every lawyer should speak up because we're the ones who have studied the Constitution. This is not a close call. It really isn't. And we all know that the rule of law cannot abide a guy like Donald Trump making these threats and and acting the way he does. Um, it, it's frightening, especially with his Hitler talk. I mean, does it frighten you, Judge? Craig, the, the the legal profession, lawyers, the people you just spoke about, uh, are uniquely positioned and they are uniquely obligated to support the Constitution and the rule of law and America's democracy right now, in this moment, and in the year ahead. In fact, as, as you know, I, I agreed to uh, co-chair the American Bar Association's Task Force for American Democracy, which, uh, you know, with their 25 or 30 task force members, uh, every one of whom are, are some of the leading, most articulate defenders of democracy the Constitution, and the rule of law in America today. And we are going to remind the lawyers of America, the 1.5 million lawyers in America, that they have an obligation to speak up, speak out in the year ahead. And uh, I'm very proud to be co-chairing that task force with former Secretary of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson, uh, and Mary Smith, who is the, uh, uh, the, the current president of the American Bar Association. Um, but yes, all of us really, as citizens, have the responsibility of citizenship to speak out today and in the year ahead. One of the greatest ways to speak out is a podcast. Have you done a lot of podcasts, sir? Well, I don't really know what a podcast is. And then just one more thing before we go. I wanted you to know about Jenna Griswold, how much I admire her. I'll get her back on the show. Episode 7, I titled it Tree Chopping instead of Jenna Griswold and Rick Riley. Oh, my goodness. What a doubleheader. But Jenna Griswold, back on 8.15 of 20, she was dealing with Donald Trump throwing out all sorts of bullshit arguments about election and mail-in ballots. They didn't work. We know they work in Colorado. So Jenna Griswold came on my show to talk about that. But I wanted to educate you by playing this little piece for you to go back to that episode, but right now to realize that she's a smart lawyer, too. And I put her in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, and we talk about the advantage she has, or she believes she has, as a trained 
attorney at law, licensed by Colorado, a Colorado girl from Estes Park. Jenna Griswold is great, and she proved on episode seven, give a listen to a little bit of that. Let's move on to a very special session of Craig's Lawyers Lounge with Colorado Secretary of State, Jenna Griswold. Welcome to Craig's Lawyers Lounge. Hello, Jenna. Hi, Craig. How are you? Fantastic. Can I welcome you back to Craig's Lawyers Lounge? Yes, sir. Thank you for bearing with us with the scheduling. I know you have nothing else to do. <laughs> I, I've waited in anticipation to talk with you about our wonderful election model. So I'm glad we could make it happen. Let me formally welcome you back to Craig's Lawyers Lounge, where prominent attorneys come to relax, tell war stories, kick around current events. In your case, the war stories and the current events are the same thing. But Jenna, I checked before you came on, and you are an active Colorado attorney with bar registration number 44020. Am I right? I would have to go back and, and look at my number, but yes, I'm an active Colorado attorney. I think that's a cool number with all those fours and twos in it. I'm 11224, but do you think being a lawyer is helping you through this situation? Absolutely. You know, whether it was putting together our legislation, which ended up being the largest democracy reform in the nation last year, to navigating the, the national dynamics on vote by mail, it is very helpful to be an attorney. Jenna Griswold, Secretary of State of Colorado. I know a little about your background. You grew up in Estes Park. I saw you just wrote a great editorial that ran in their paper there about voting in Colorado. But tell everybody your background and why it was you decided to become a lawyer and then move on to politics and win statewide office as Secretary of State. Well, I did grow up in Estes Park. I grew up very working class. So growing up, my mom sometimes would be working two jobs and it would still be sometimes hard to make ends meet. So I started working the summer after seventh grade to help out and just saw a lot of Colorado families were struggling like mine. And that's what really inspired me to be the first person in my family to go to a four-year college and then off to law school because I, I wanted to have the tools to be able to help out. Uh, you know, when it comes to running for statewide office, I, I just thought it was so important to make sure that Colorado's voting rights were protected. So I launched a campaign and, and won in, gosh, 2018, and I'm just honored to be Colorado's 39th Secretary of State. I don't know any Secretary of State who has faced the kind of situations that Colorado and America currently are experiencing. Let's not bury the lead. Let's talk about him. Our president, Donald J. Trump, what do you think he's doing? Is he trying to create an impression that the election is not fair to make an excuse for him losing? Well, for better or for worse, the president often tells us why he is doing the things he is doing. He has come out as a vocal opponent against mail ballots even though he uses them and, and many, many members of the administration uses them, including the first lady, the second lady, the vice president, the press secretary, and the list goes on and on. 
But he told us and has said various times that he opposes mail ballots because he believes that it will enable Democrats to win more seats than they otherwise would. So this is coming from a a very partisan place. We all know in Colorado that everybody likes mail ballots. And believe it or not, there has been more Republicans who use mail ballots in the last two out of three general elections. It's something that's good for all voters, especially when we're in the middle of a pandemic. So here's the plan, Corey Hutchins, our excellent featured guest coming up after the break. After him, an outstanding discussion with Troubadour Dave Gunders about the merits of going forward with the Colorado case. What will happen if Colorado wins? Is that a good thing, a bad thing? We talk about everything. His song, Whatever the Future Holds. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend, subscribe, share, five stars, Spotify, Apple. I'd love that. We picked up a lot of followers on YouTube. Although we don't put out the show with video, we do have our YouTube shorts, two of them featuring my interactions with Judge Ludic. Thanks for listening. Happy weekend. And may Colorado help save America. Thank you. Enjoy. It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at MBLaw. LLC.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig, 303-734-7156, 303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a treat because I like Colorado media coverage and this guy makes a job of it. He's also part of Colorado College, my alma mater. Corey Hutchins, welcome back to my show. Thanks, Craig. It's been a while. I know. It might have been back in the radio days. Tell everybody your background. Where did you grow up and how did you get into this so-called industry? 
yeah, I grew up in upstate New York. My first job, I was a, a paper carrier. I delivered the Albany Times Union to about 30 houses in a suburb of Albany, New York. I don't know if that had anything to do with, uh, I don't know um, if it had anything to do with me getting into the uh, news industry, but it's a, a, a great story, right? I was like 11 to 13 when I did that. Um, and uh, I went to college for, for journalism in New York and in South Carolina, and uh, I covered politics. and. About 13 years ago, um, I started covering the media for Columbia Journalism Review. It's the magazine based out of New York City um, at Columbia University uh, that covers the media world. And they had a project called the United States Project, where they had regional correspondents around the country focusing on what was going on at the local news level. And I think it was a really good time to start looking at that. Because if you think of what's happened to the local news industry in the past 15 years, um, frankly, I think there probably deserves to be more coverage on it earlier. Uh, you know, I'm sure later on in this conversation, we'll get to, and your listeners are probably well aware of what's happened in Denver. Um, they remember when it was a two newspaper town. And now we know what's happened since then. Uh, with these hedge funds and these private equity that's gotten involved in the newspaper business, I don't think they should have. It's, it's been destructive. And uh, like I said, uh, if there was more coverage on that earlier on, um, I don't know if things might have been different, but people would have been more aware. Uh, and so, yeah, for the past uh, more than a decade, I've been focusing on writing about what's happening at the local news level. And Colorado gives me something to write about every single week. As you know, I write um, a weekly newsletter called Inside the News in Colorado, where your listeners can find it at coloradomedia.substack.com. And I started in 2015. I'm a, I'm a supporter because I think I know, it's you are not only just a supporter, but I noticed that you are a potential financial supporter. The newsletter is free um, for subscribers. Uh, but I did note, I did notice that I think they ask you if you would pledge to support it if I ever decided to, to monetize it for subscribers, meaning um, to make it a, a, a paid model. You know, some newsletter writers ask their readers to pay and then put it behind a paywall. Anybody can read inside the news in Colorado. Um, but one day I might uh, turn it over to a paid subscription. I don't know. That might be the future. Uh, for now, underwriters like Colorado Media Project, Colorado Health Foundation, Grasslands, and others mm, allow it to be free for anyone to read. But uh, I do appreciate the uh, the potential financial support. Well, I like to put my money where my mouth is. And I looked at the calendar and it's 2024. This is the year, it's all happening, and I can't really affect what's going on in the Middle East, right? And nationally, hey, what am I going to do? Maybe a little bit nationally, I can do this or that, but I'm a Colorado guy, so I'm trying to affect things in Colorado, and I'm trying to monitor Colorado media because I think it influences 
the way people think, the way they get along. And I came from the belly of that beast. So I really admire people like you who are keeping an eye on it. And that's why I want to support your Substack called Inside the News in Colorado. And everybody's doing Substack, Patreon, whatever. Tell me about your model. It sounds like you have nonprofit support. That's cool. Yeah. So um, you mentioned Colorado College earlier where I teach journalism and co-direct the Journalism Institute with Stephen Hayward there. And I started teaching a class a few years ago called Inbox Journalism, Writing for Newsletters, because I, I think as I teach the students how to come up with a, a niche um, how to create a newsletter around that and try and, and build an audience. If you remember the block plan, though, it's three and a half weeks, right? So it's a, it's a real clash, crash course. I don't think anybody could... I, I shouldn't say that. Some people have. Um, I was going to say, I don't think anybody can create a massive audience in just three and a half weeks. But really, with the right content, it's possible. And um, this new trend with newsletters and Substack's not the only one. There are different ones that you can choose from as well. And, and other, other people do. Um, I used to be on a platform called tiny letter and then Substack came around. I think I moved on to that in 2020. It's just a lot easier to use. Um, and does that, can I ask, does that go through any filters? Does anybody edit your work? Uh, not at the moment. Uh, I will admit to using chat GPT nice. as a copy editor, uh, but not a content editor. Wait till I started asking tough questions. I'll break you down easy if you're confessing already, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you, you asked me about the model. So what's interesting about a newsletter is that it goes into people's inboxes directly. And that I started noticing several years ago seemed to be very powerful. So I was writing for the Washington Post. Sometimes I was writing for Columbia Journalism Review, um, the Center for Public Integrity doing these, you know, what I thought were big, impactful stories. And I remember one time going to the Denver Press Club and meeting some journalists who I'd never met in person for the first time and introducing myself. And someone said, oh, I know you. You're, you're the newsletter guy. And I remember kind of being a little, not offended, but kind of like, the newsletter guy? No, I, well, I write for the Washington Post, you know? Um, but I, what, I, what I realized was that people were seeing um, my work and what I was doing in other publications because they subscribed to the newsletter and it was something that people relied on uh, once a week in the inbox. And you can develop a pretty loyal following. And I think journalism or I should say like media consumption really is moving in that direction. Uh, I think it's going to become more niche based. And as social media seems to kind of be collapsing right now, that kind of developing your own audience, maybe you see this with your podcast, Craig, um, is, is kind of going to become more of a, an opportunity for people to develop and cultivate an audience and eventually monetize it instead of working for, or in journalism anyway, um, 
a big newspaper, um, online outlet, radio station or TV station or something like that. It's something that exists now that kind of didn't um, many years ago. And so it's just kind of a new avenue to do that. And, and uh, it's, I've found success, I believe, with that model here in Colorado because it's such a niche beat. I have 3,270 subscribers right now. I don't know if you consider that a lot or a few, um, but it's a loyal audience. I don't know if I'll ever get 10,000 subscribers of 10,000 people who care about what's going on at the local news scene in Colorado. You never know. That connects with what's you never happening. Know actually, but you never know when you're going to go viral. I added, but it's a it's a loyal audience, and that's that's yeah. what's, that's what's interesting, and that's what matters. What about on Twitter? What are your followers there? I know that you're still active. I only mention it because my. I used Twitter. I had Allison Gill on from Muller, she wrote, and she said, let's not surrender that battle space. And I agree with that. Mm. And with my uh, Judge Ludig interview, I gained many hundreds of followers. So, uh, and then I turned them on to my Colorado Sun column, which turned on Judge Ludig. And you are in Mm. the Colorado Sun, and you wrote the feature piece that everybody looks forward to at the turn of the year the news behind the news in Colorado, Hutchins here in review. But before we get there, Corey, I do want to go kind of predict the future by talking about my past to Colorado College. You're teaching kids right now in a journalism institute. What are you teaching them? I mean, you and I talk about the hodgepodge of ways we try to get our word out, somehow monetize it. Of course, I've never given up my day job as an active Colorado <laughs> trial lawyer, but you know what I mean? What do you advise the students? Can they make a career of it? So we at the Journalism Institute of Colorado College put a heavy emphasis on the importance of local news. Yeah, it's great if, if a student graduates Colorado College and wants to go work and can go get a job at the New York Times. Awesome. But students who graduate from the Journalism Institute I think leave here understanding how important local news is to society and they uh, will go work in a, in a local newsroom, um, which is really great to see. Uh, I teach a class called the future and sustainability of local news. Um, and I told you I teach the, the uh, I teach introduction to journalism and I teach uh, inbox journalism writing for newsletters. We had an interesting class in block one this year called reporting on wildfires uh, Colorado colleges students take only one class at a time, as you know, for three and a half weeks, three hours a day. And so you can do something like that. And we were on the road in, with field trips. Um, half the class were in vans out at wildfire sites, meeting with wildfire scientists, people affected by them, people who covered them. Jesse Paul from the Colorado Sun, who's another Colorado college grad, uh, helped on that class. And organized some of the sourcing uh, with folks to talk to and some of the field trips so students, uh, I think, leave the Journalism Institute at CC understanding how important local journalism is and hopefully wanting to do it. Uh, I do say that you, you really do have to be passionate about it. It's harder. Uh, well, you know, I don't, I don't know about that. I kind of think it's a, I'm of two, of two minds. It's, you know, there are fewer jobs in 
traditional journalism now. Um, but there are also maybe more opportunities like what I just described with newsletter reporting. Um, if you're good at it and you're dedicated and you're, you're passionate, and if you, what I tell them is if they can develop expertise in a particular, on a particular beat and just really own that, uh, that's something that can get them noticed. And that's something that um, either they can do on their own uh, or get noticed by a publication they want to write for. And do you, or teach, broadcast you, do you teach them the benefits and pitfalls of social media? You know, I used to uh, more than I do now. I feel like there's less of an emphasis on social media so much now. I do, um, but I, I think it's more, I, I get the sense that they aren't as much on social media as they were a few years ago. You asked me about Twitter. Um, I am still on it. And you know, I wrote a call, I wrote a piece for the newsletter uh, a few weeks or a few months ago about how some journalists in Colorado are leaving because of the owner, Elon Musk's kind of erratic behavior. Um, I asked on the first day of some journalism classes, what, social media platforms, the students are on where they're getting their local news and information. And over the past seven years, I've noticed that Facebook is, they're not on that. Their parents and their grandparents are on that. So they're not. Um, Twitter was high five or six years ago. And it is like minimal now. If I ask a class of 12 to 16 students, how many of them are on active on Twitter? I'd be surprised if it were more than more than three. And I'm talking about active, even if they have not, some of them don't even have accounts. Um, I think the big ones are Instagram and TikTok. But I, I feel like social media is not as dominant as it was a few years ago. It's not for me. I um, pay, I hate to admit I pay $8 a month for Twitter because I need it to do the newsletter. Okay. Uh, I really Time do need out. it for That's work. the end of sure. the conversation. <laughs> Elon Musk is bad. No, I'm just kidding. But I I just haven't been put in that position. And he's proposing that everybody's got to pay. And I don't, I I don't, I don't want to pay any for, money for, for him, but I do. Tool. I, I, I promote my oh, podcast on, on yeah. Twitter every week. So, But it doesn't, it's not bringing, is it, you said it, I was actually surprised when you said it brought you several hundred followers. I don't think I gain followers anymore. I can tell you how many people, so you mentioned I wrote this big year interview column for, for the Colorado Sun. Um, you know how many people actually tweeted that out on social media? Uh, fewer than half a dozen. and. I did, and the senior editor of The Sun, Larry Rickman, retweeted it, and the analytics showed 252 people saw it. <laughs> so well, can that's I not suggest you get Judge Ludig to use his Twitter to boost your writing? Because he praised mine to the health, and it got like I don't think 420 you can use social retweets. Media. Social media is just, at least Twitter anyway, is not. Um, a place that to, uh, to harness the big audience, at, at least for me, I've noticed that uh, in, in my own publishing. And that's why I think that uh, the future, you asked about the future, is going to be more 
in niche products and kind of cultivating uh, smaller but more loyal audiences. Right, like my podcast. And here's my <laughs> attitude about things. I've been performing for quite a while. I used to shoot baskets in my driveway, then at GW, then at CC, and there weren't big crowds, you know, occasionally on the road or at the state tournament. But you get used to a bigger crowd, but I'm still going to play the same way. And then I started as a lawyer, and I'm in tiny courtrooms, and I get in bigger courtrooms, then I get in packed courtrooms. But when I leave, I say, gosh, I wish more people were here. And then I was on court TV, and then I did all the national cables, this or that, and then I did radio, and I do podcasts. But it's still going to be the same me, probably like... When you teach a class at CC, whether it's 12 or 14 kids or 1,200 kids, it's still going to be Corey Hutchins, right? And you're still going to try your hardest. Yeah. So thanks for letting me go off on that. And you were nice enough to name me as one of the Colorado podcasts you recognized. And I appreciated that. And don't you think podcasts have a big place in the modern media world. I know uh, Ben Micellis is going to be my guest next week. He's created the Midas Touch Network. He's a young lawyer. And uh, I admire the guy and what he's doing and his entrepreneurial skills. And he's got 1.8 million followers on YouTube. And it's extremely popular. What about YouTube and podcasting? Do you tell your students about all that? Oh, yeah. Um, so CC, our journalism program, uh, has a, a heavy emphasis on radio journalism. Uh, so yes, they do create podcasts. Uh, I don't teach it. Um, Stephen Hayward teaches that with Peter Breslow, uh, who was formerly this, the producer for uh, Weekend Edition at NPR. Um, we have students every year interning at KRCC in Colorado Public Radio with their new Southern Colorado Public Media Center that houses the Journalism Institute in downtown Colorado Springs, right, right on campus near the new hockey arena. And uh, we've had students have success with podcasts. And in fact, um, one of the students won the Denver Press Club's top award for student journalism a couple of years ago because of a podcast uh, that she did about toxic water in um, the towns south of Colorado Springs. Uh, so like, I would say the same thing I did about, about newsletters. Uh, if you want to do that with, you know, a, a niche podcast, the opportunity is there. Uh, is that it, it wasn't when I was their age. Let me ask you something, if you don't sure. mind. If you, like, so you were on, you were on a commercial radio station, right? And now you're doing this. Do you, yes. What are, what are the positives and oh the negatives? Oh, my God. First of all, let me just say how cool is that at KRCC, where I never got involved, but I did write for the Catalyst, and we're going to get on to newspapers. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I make money at this. Michael Bailey is a great More lawyer. More than right. when you were at the commercial station. Right. Well, no, no, not anything like the heydays. Holy cow, I was okay. there in the glory days. Afternoon drive time, Kaplis and Silverman. We got recognized by the New York Times. Advertisers were through the roof. I would do like eight or nine live ad reads. So I was making a lot of money on the side mm. of my law practice, okay? And so... The whole bottom of the radio industry has dropped out. 
and now people pay to put on their show. It's the form of an infomercial. Some guys make some money. I mean, capitalists pays money and he pays for advertising, pays to sponsor the Broncos, pays to sponsor 710K in U.S. Now George Brockler is making money. And did you see that report on the Common Sense Institute by Heidi Beadle and the Colorado Times Recorder? What a great journalist she is. Brockler is some fellow that he makes money there. He's making, he's the last really remaining guy on KNUS where they put that officer Tatum on in the afternoon. Have you heard that? Anyway, <laughs> it's terrible. And Salem's role in MAGA is it's really bad. And it's led a lot of Christians to say that Biden's the devil, even though he's devout Catholic and, and Trump's great religious leader when he's, you know, he's Donald Trump. He worships himself. Anyway, I, I blame talk radio for this. And 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 Brockler is making money. He just started doing ads for Rocky Mountain Men's Clinic. I mean, there were some things I didn't do, like uh, boner pill stuff and uh, selling guns or selling fake medical cures. And Peter Boyles comes on on the weekend and he says, I would never sell a fake medical cure. And then he advertises for hyperbaric chambers. And I keep my eye on these guys because I used to know them all, I, and, and I worked with them, and I'm horrified by what they're doing, and they're getting their ass sued off for helping Mike Lindell and Donald Trump with the big lie, and they won't talk about it. And Brockler won't stand up and oppose Mac, and it pisses me off, and I'm going to keep monitoring those guys, not by calling in or texting them personally. We're not friendly anymore. Too many bridges have been burnt. But yeah, and mm-hmm. bottom line, I made, I made, you know, a lot of money in the media for a long time. But then now I make some money writing for the Colorado Sun. I make some money doing this podcast, but it's not about money for me. I make so much more in my law practice, but it's 2024. Game on. Come on. I'm laying it out there. What's going on? And and since you asked me questions, Corey, and we have all the time in the world, and you got me a little worked up, I'm just thinking about those fellas. Why won't they back Nikki Haley or somebody who's semi-normal in the GOP instead of Donald Trump? Because they've capitulated. The audience has taken over. And Salem Media, my God. I mean, I can't really speak to what's going on at KOA and how. Other than what I've said so far, capitalists at KHAL, but at Salem, the way they've sold out, chased Joe Walsh away, chased Michael Medved away, Hugh Hewitt goes along, capitulates to MAGA. It's disgusting. Why would you work at a place where you're sponsored by Mike Lindell and my pillows? You know, it's it's horrible. And their role in bringing Joe Oltman over to KNUS. After I got chased away, do you remember that when Brockler brought Oltman and Oltman's so important in all of this story, Douglas County Republicans? I follow this, and you do too, in your own way. And I'm not as much as you. I mean, hearing you talk about all that just reminds me how much of a blind spot I have for broadcast media. Um, you know, I've tried to write more about because. 
you know, I, I sometimes hear from readers and one of the things that somebody wrote into me a couple of years ago was they would like to see more coverage of what's going on in the broadcast of TV, local TV. And that's important because a lot of people, that's the primary place where they get their local news and information. But I mean, talk radio is a big blind spot for me. Well, it shouldn't be. You know, you said you monitor it. I should pay more attention to what you're saying about it. Jason Salzman at the Colorado Times Recorder basically listens to a lot of the the conservative talk radio and and writes about it. Um, But I, all that stuff that you, a lot of that stuff that you told me is kind of news to me. Right, but you are a news, you're an ink-stained rent. What they call it? Stayed rich, right? And yeah. uh, that's your background. But I was in that world, and I'm also an attorney. And so, attorneys have a special role. You said you'd listen to the Judge Ludig interview. I hope you liked it last week. And at the end, he talked about the special responsibility of lawyers right now, because we are constitutional officers of the court. And some of these guys, like me. They have uh, a microphone, and they're a radio host, and a lot of people listen to them because they don't know another lawyer. They sell themselves as trusted lawyers, and then they come on and they say that Bonnie Willis is a partisan hack tormenting poor Donald Trump, the same with Alvin Bragg, the same with Jack Smith. George Proctor said, All three of those prosecutors are in overreach. He criticizes Tish James for exposing the financial crimes of Trump. He goes after these people when Donald Trump's in the newspaper with a, uh, no, no, he posted a picture on Truth Social with, remember that, with the baseball bat next to Alvin Bragg's head? I wrote about it in the Colorado Sun. Right when it happened, I said, you got to stop this trash. And Ludig and I talked about it too. But Brockler, who was a DA, who wants to be Douglas County DA, you know, they're creating a new district out there, a breakaway district, and he, he wants to land there. He's willing to not talk about that. And, you know, topic selection is everything, just like a newspaper. So I, I kind of monitor Dan and George to see what topics they are going to avoid. Like all this stuff about the emoluments that Trump received, they won't cover that, but they'll talk about a Biden crime family. And they won't talk about the 91 felonies. This leaves me a wide open, fertile ground. I've started a a midweek show. I've got great sponsors where I'm putting on panelists to cover these trials of this century. Understand, Corey, I broke in covering O.J. Simpson on Nine News with Dan Kaplis. (laughs) And we'd analyze it every day. And we'd do it on the radio on 760 back in the day. That's the way I got in this crazy industry where I didn't make a lot of money. You think you're finding a larger audience than they are? No, no, of course not. They've got a bigger audience than me. I'm just a, a podcast, you know. Uh, I, I need to grow a little bit at, at a time, but they're on in people's cars. Uh, all the habits <laughs> die hard. You you turn on Dan Kaplan's while you're driving home, and he's your lawyer you trust. And when he says it's all political, none of these 91 felonies have merit, and he ignores the Hitler shit. That's why I'm done being Mr. Nice Guy. When 
Trump starts talking about vermin and poisoning of the blood, and they never play those sound clips, they never say boo. Instead, George Brockler is seen fit to rip Nikki Haley, saying, why is she promising a pardon? Nobody should promise any specific uh, criminal justice outcome. It's almost like Phil Weiser, who beat me, and he, he can't stop talking about his loss to A.G. Phil Weiser, but I know Brockler. I know Kaplis. I had Brockler in the studio on my Saturday morning show when he was about to lose to Phil Weiser for the first time, and he blamed Trump. And he should because Trump is toxic in Colorado, but not toxic enough. We've got Boebert. We've got CD3. Let's get on to Boebert. I mean, here's the thing why I think you're so important and why I try to cover Colorado too. I'm from here, and I'm a little Colorado-centric, but you've moved here. You teach at the greatest higher education institution in the Centennial State. To me, there's something about Colorado that is significant. As Colorado goes, we can lead the country. That's where I wrote my Colorado Sun column. Follow the Colorado Supreme Court. They're following the law. I think it's that way in the media. I think we can lead the way uh, it, it's not just another beat. It's Colorado. Don't you feel that way, Corey? I absolutely do. I'm glad you brought it up because I wonder if I could do uh, this, what I do every week with the newsletter um, column. I mean, if dropped me in another state, uh, would there be enough? I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, Colorado you know, has always had that reputation politically, right? As the bell, well, yeah, as the bellwether state, as, as you said, as Colorado goes, so does the nation. You can say that about the media for sure. I don't think there's another state in the country right now that, that has more going on at the local news level, um, particularly with support for it. And if you, think about why it's kind of interesting. It goes back to 2018 when the hedge fund that financially controls the Denver Post, you know, laid off 30% of the newsroom. And it was a traumatic event for Colorado's media scene. It, you know, there's no Colorado sun where you write your column without that happening, you know? And I, it galvanized, um, people who care about local journalism to get together and form organizations like Colorado Media Project, which underwrites my newsletter um, and funds a whole lot of innovation and directly funds newsrooms through grants, local newsrooms here in Colorado. And then you have the emergence of the organization CoLab, right? Colorado News Collaborative. You've you've heard of them. They're based out of Denver, and they have something like journalists, 170 journalists from different news organizations across Colorado that collaborate in a way that I just don't think you see in other places. In fact, Colorado has become a pioneer when it comes to collaboration. Uh, thinking about how interesting that is, going back to the the kind of early. Uh, scene where it was known for the newspaper war, the bitter and vicious newspaper war between the Denver Post and the Rocky Mountain News journalists every day. And now you have those some of those same reporters and editors who used to you know fight each other for scoops are working together and collaborating 
through organizations like Colab. They're sharing their content, sharing their stories, sharing their office space and resources, and have kind of decided that collaboration has supplanted competition. And I think I know that other states are looking at Colorado because I get calls from from people in other states saying, hey, we want to like in Oregon, for instance, or Ohio, we want to do something like that. How do we start? Um, so, yeah, your question is Colorado a kind of a, have an outsized influence in the United States when it comes to media like it does in other things? Absolutely. And I think if you read the Colorado Sun column that I just did kind of outlining month by month what happened, I read it as I was preparing for your um, your call today. Um, I just re- read it again and it just, it just feels like um, there's a lot of people taking note of what we're doing here. And I think wanting to try and emulate it. I know, but taking note and making it work financially for fine journalists to make a living wage is a different thing. And I love the Colorado Sun and my association with them since 2019. But I, I again, I put my money where my mouth is. I'm a subscriber too. I wanted to succeed. I had Larry on to describe the nonprofit move what does that mean? You are an expert. To me, it's really hard to understand. Yeah. So each year, as I'm putting together this year-end column, I try and think of a theme. And it was either last year or the year before. No, it was 2022. Um, the theme was Colorado newspapers turning into nonprofits started with a small newspaper in Crestone, Colorado, converted to a nonprofit and other newspapers. I think there were like four last year that did. And the Colorado Sun was the biggest one. Uh, and that was this year, or sorry, 2023, converting from a public benefit corporation um, was an LLC before that. And the Colorado Sun's had a few kind of chapters in its in its five years, uh, and I think it, what it it shows is they needed to do it for sustain financial sustainability. Um, there's a movement. You asked about the the future, looking ahead, 2024. There is a or an initiative called Press Forward. Um, a group of national funders have gotten together and raised. I want to say half a billion dollars. I think they want to raise a billion dollars. Still not enough, but a lot to support local news around the country. They want to tap uh, local community foundations, I think, or entities to match that money. It'll be a big national effort this year to raise philanthropic support for local news organizations. And I I don't know if Larry said this on, on your show or if he told me, when I reported it on, on the conversion. Uh, but I think part of the thinking was that some of that support, it might be easier to be a nonprofit to, you know, get, get large grants like that. There have been nonprofits, other, other nonprofit outlets in Colorado, like the Colorado independent, but that's, that's no longer around that converted into collab. Um, you have the alternative weekly in Colorado Springs. It was a commercially, you know, advertising funded free weekly converted to a nonprofit last year. And that didn't work out. They basically just went out of business um, last week or, or the week before, which is 
terrible, uh, but I do think something will emerge out of that uh, that I hope to be uh, a part of if it happens. Uh, no, every, nobody has the the nobody has cracked the the code for I think long term sustainability for local news. The Colorado Sun is one of the few bright spots in the in the nation in that it's been around for five years. And I haven't had to write a headline about how the Colorado Sun has laid off people. Um, person, if anybody figures out how to sustain local news long-term, they should win the Nobel Prize. People are trying. Uh, they're testing ideas here, including the Colorado Sun. Uh, Colorado is a place where we kind of test out these experiences. So keep an eye on the, on the sun and, and others, you know, the Boulder reporting lab is an interesting one, mm-hmm. right? Um, I have an idea or at least I used yeah. to. Okay, great. Bring back For the Rocky, with a Nobel prize, <laughs> bring back the Rocky mountain news in its glory days. It should have won that battle with the Denver post, but now I'm thinking about modern times, the struggle of even great local newspapers it's a new model, and the shame of it, I bet you teach this in your class, uh, if the media isn't out there, if journalism dies, then corruption will follow, right? People will get away with everything. Nothing will get reported. It's kind of, uh, we need a rule of law. We need a free press. We need to be able to have a normal society. I see those things breaking down. Isn't that a big part of it, why Colorado media and media in general is so important? Yeah, it's a democracy project, right? Um, There are studies that show, if your listeners can Google, how do we know local news is good for democracy? And they'll find that the Democracy Fund is an organization that's been tracking this since 2018, rounding up research reports, academic papers um, that show things like when a local newspaper goes out of business that you know um fewer people run for office as you say corruption can flourish corporate malfeasance can go up pollution can go up um when a local newspaper goes out of business uh obviously the electorate doesn't necessarily have all the information they need to be free and self-governing and make the decisions in their lives and so you see that uh, you know, candidates, uh, there's, there's less voting for candidates for judges, things like that. Yeah. People need to have access to reliable local news and information to help them make the decisions that they need to make. Right. And yeah, that's why you should support them. And, uh, our judicial system works if, if we stop with all the continuances because there's an adversary process. Both sides get to make their case. That's why a two-newspaper town was pretty darn good. Now Colorado Springs is losing the independent. That said, the Pueblo Chieftain greatly diminished. I mean, there is... I read your year-end review, and it's pretty darn sad. More things are shutting down than are starting up. So you're the second person now who... I got an email from somebody who said they read it and they thought it was depressing. Um, what was it that you thought was so depressing? The Colorado Springs. The Colorado Springs. That, that's the big one, right? Okay. And then the and then the Pueblo Chieftain's Printing Press 
basically throwing 80 publications into a scramble to try and find new presses and they have to go out of state to find them. And they, it forced one newspaper to shut down. Some Spanish language publications had to either go digital only or find another paper. Yeah. Okay. I, I, <laughs> there, I tried to balance, I mean, I tried, but I mean, I thought there was some uh, bright spots throughout the year as well, but you, you thought it was like overwhelmingly Negative. Well, not overwhelming, but a guest no. of mine has been Julian Rubenstein. You educated me that he had to go into a journalist protection program. I didn't even know that existed. That's why I read you, but that's sort of depressing too. Yeah, he wondered if he or he thought he might be the first journalist who was who was in a I think a state program, an address confidentiality program or, or something like that because of uh, threats that he got be because of his reporting. Um, yeah, that's pretty depressing. I'll, I'll grant you that. Um, but as we see, uh, these newspapers go away, um, you'll see some outlets try and pop up and, and fill the gaps. We'll see how financially sustainable they are. We saw a handful of them pop up around the state this year. I call it the rise of the the one person newsroom. It's somebody who's got like a newsletter like like mine, but instead of covering the media, they're focusing on accountability um, journalism in their local community. Let me tell uh, you. How, you let me tell you how I get my fun. news. Okay, and a good yeah, local I'd love example. I watch. I record a, a next with Kyle Clark every night, and. Uh, I think it's the top local newscast, and we can circle back to Kyle Clark, but he let me know that that one candidate in the fourth CD, a guy who's got a county commissioner office, I can't think of his name right now, but he wanted to hold a rally with Joe Oltman, who I already brought up, a name that they're afraid to talk about on Denver Talk Radio, but he's so much a part of the big lie that flowed out of Colorado. Anyway, my ears perked up. And Kyle Clark's not afraid to say Joe Altman's name. And he put on uh, the greatest hits of Joe Altman, threatening to hang Jared Polis, Jenna Griswold, etc. And that he's going to be there and it's going to be at a gun shop in Douglas County. And uh, I thought about going, but then I thought, mm, I don't know. But then I was hoping somebody in the media would go, and Heidi Beadle, who I already brought up, who's been a guest on my show, she went there. She got kicked off the grounds, but she's persistent. She waited next door on somebody else's property. She could hear them talking, and she reported it on Twitter, and I was following it live, and then she came out with a good, comprehensive, well-written piece in the Colorado Times Recorder, another news outlet. You mentioned Jason Saltzman. They have a lot of great people there. And uh, I got the news that I needed. I found out that Mike Lindell was there talking, uh, Tig Tigan. And then again, I monitor George Proctor, who wants to be Douglas County leader, a DA, whatever. Is he going to say anything about it? And of course, Nothing. Silence. And and I note it. And I'm going to keep track of radio and podcasts around here. There are some great ones, but there are ones that are leading people astray. So that's my story of getting that news. Did you follow that event in Douglas County? I, I think it's important what's going on with Douglas County Republicans. And, and I want to get coverage of that. 
And so I admire somebody like Heidi Beetle with the fortitude to do that. Yeah, I saw that report. I saw our reporting on social media. Um, I don't know if I looked at the I looked at the store. I will say to your point that one of the things Colorado has going for it is there is, I think, more politics reporting and political reporting in Colorado than many, many other states. There are some states where things just happen and you never hear about it. And in Colorado, I kind of feel like it's hard um, for politicians to do things without somebody in Colorado sniffing it out and it landing in a news story, whether it's a new media publication like the one you referenced, Colorado Times Quarter, which is a, a nonprofit outlet that's progressive, openly progressive with donors who are we don't know. They say that they have progressive donors, but they don't say who they are. Um, and then the other, obviously, like the you know the, the traditional media, uh, the newspapers and the radio and the TV. Um, do you get that sense? To, to what extent do you get that sense that you know you think there's a lot politically that happens in Colorado that we don't hear about? Here's what I think, I think politics is covered here. You know what? There was one omission. I hate to give mm. you shit about your Colorado coverage, but the biggest broadcast coming oh. out of Colorado every day for the last several years, Steve mm-hmm. Bannon. Doesn't he have a transmitter somewhere? And he always talks about his Denver, Denver studio. Yes, Denver the or Lakewood. has some connection. Yeah, I've, I've, I've written about right. it. Uh, not, nothing original. I, somebody else wrote about it. And uh, but I, I mean, I he, is, he is poisoning the public every day with those podcasts that pop up on people's phones. It pops up on mine. I don't know how to get rid of them. Mm. He, he puts out two or three a day, and it's hard to contradict it. But contradict it, we will. I mentioned Ben Micellis, my upcoming guest, I've had on Allison Gell Muller, she wrote, and they are keeping track of these sprawling Trump trials. Now, what I'd like to do is keep track of Colorado, just like you do, because there are so many Colorado aspects to the big lie that I find the national guys really don't know that much about the Coomer case out of Denver. Uh, The Dominion voting executive who got chased out of town because of the big yeah. lie. And he's suing mm-hmm. Lindell, he's suing KNUS, Michelle Malkin, another Colorado character who's gone silent. Have you noticed that? That could have been part of your 2023, that silence of Michelle huh. Malkin, who was a media megastar. So I monitor these things because the big guys like Ben and Allison, they have enough on their hands, you know, in Atlanta and and New York, and Washington. They do a great job, but I like to keep track of what's going on in Colorado, which is why I think we're so simpatico. I'd like to think we are. I sure appreciate you being a guest on my podcast. Yes. I mean, and I like that you ask me questions, too. Let me ask you one more. What about artificial intelligence? Isn't that going to put more journalists out of business? What do you tell your students at CC? Go Go into law, go into plumbing, do something else. Well, I could ask you the same thing about artificial intelligence and the law. Is it going to put lawyers out of business? I don't think so. I think lawyers are getting in trouble for you. 
not trial lawyers. Not trial lawyers. For using news news organizations are, yeah, right. Of course. Um. So artificial intelligence. One of the things that I think was a a theme of this year was. Gosh, I guess it was kind of late. Twenty twenty two. When I forget when it happened. When Chat Chat GPT came out, and it shocked me when I started using it. Um. I was just really surprised at what it could do, how quickly and and how easily. And uh, like I told you, I use it as an editing tool. Um, But what it's done is it's kind of allowed people to create websites that look like local news organizations. And they can repurpose the, the journalism of credible news outlets and make it seem like it's original or something like that. And that unfortunately is something that is tying up a, a time of working journalists or working editors at publications who have to try and sniff this out and send a cease and desist letter or have a lawyer send a letter to get these sites shut down. And a couple uh, news people from news organizations who have had to deal with this have told me it's like a game of whack-a-mole. They get rid of one. Um, you know, one, one of these weird sites pops up and starts taking their work and and they get it shut down. And then another one pops up somewhere else. One of the weirdest things that I saw in 2023 that I really think we ought to be thinking about how to deal with more is what happened to Trevor Hughes of USA Today. He's a national reporter, but he's based in Denver. And, um, you know, so each week I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to write about. Um, I, I lead each newsletter with a, a, I try to lead each newsletter with a piece of original reporting that um, about media in Colorado that, that just people can't get anywhere else. So I'm always on the lookout. What's that lead story going to be? I didn't have one, um, one week and I'm kind of looking around and one night I, I'm doing my kind of survey search before I went to bed and I see in a, what looked like an obituary for Trevor Hughes of USA Today. And I know him. He's a young guy. Oh, oh my God, no. And my immediate reaction was, okay, I believed it for a second, right? And, and so then I you know, started Googling around some more. And there's maybe a couple other sites that had this obituary. But reading it, it it's just, it read like a robot wrote it. Words were off. Synonyms of words were, were used for what the word should have been. And I went to Trevor's social media account to see if he had posted any time or may, you know, maybe referenced it. Um, hey, this isn't real. But he hadn't posted in, I think, a couple days. And there was an indication that he was on a reporting trip in Florida. And so I thought, oh, God, I really hope something didn't happen. And, and But then these sites were so creepy and weird that I wasn't sure what to think. I didn't want to start any rumors myself. So I sent a kind of vague email to somebody I know in the USA Today Network and said, hey, could, could you give me a call? Um, it's kind of sensitive. I, don't, I just don't want to say what it's about in the email. You, you free and the, the person wasn't but they said that they could be in a few hours or the next day or something. And I went back and, and 
maybe the next morning or so looked at, or maybe later in that, that night, I looked at Trevor's Facebook page and saw that he had posted in the, in the meantime, um, but didn't reference these obituaries that straight out said as a fact that he was dead and that his family was mourning his loss and all this stuff. Um, he just posted something about what he was doing. So I called and uh, he answered the phone. And the first thing he said is I'm not dead. <laughs> I said, I'm glad to hear. I guess you saw these too. And he said, well, I had been on a plane and I missed it, but uh, somebody he knew had come across one of these and by that time, this was the next morning, there were maybe half a dozen of these sites that were saying he had died and running his obituary. And what we kind of pieced together and what I wrote about was that it seems to me, and my theory on this is, is that there are these um, AI sites or, or people who are, have created some sort of, maybe using artificial intelligence, some sort of tracking program that can tell if people are, are Googling whether somebody has died or not. And then they, based on the name of the search, create an obituary based off anything that's public about that person. Well, if they get it wrong, and it's not the Trevor Hughes, who's the journalist in Colorado, but it's somebody else, uh, they don't seem to care. And because these, these obituaries for Trevor are still out there. And the last I checked, Trevor's still alive. And that's very strange and creepy and probably going to cause some problems for people, right? Um, that's just one kind of uh, – I don't think yeah. there's really been reported well, on that much, welcome, but that's just welcome to one the thing that AI Yeah, you can yeah. do deep fakes. How do you know your guy isn't dead? And they were using a deep fake voice that some robot launched. No, I'm telling you – what could go wrong in 2024 if you have a guy with 91 felonies running, artificial intelligence with deep fake whatever available? You bring up obituaries, then I want to put this great interview to bed. Just saying what I miss about the Denver Post, because I get one in my driveway. I wonder about the utility. Normally, I've already seen it on my laptop. Sometimes I open it up, and you know where I find myself going? To the obituaries, because... I am a Denver native, and I often say, oh, my God, this person died, or that person. That's the way you find out about death, right, in a no bit. And it occurs to me that if I never open up a newspaper, how am I going to know who really died in the community or not? Because you never go yeah, online and to click on the obituaries, <laughs> right. do you? I don't, but I, 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 I can't I, tell you I ever have. Well, see, you're not old enough. and uh, But I remember my parents doing that. Oh, my God, this person died. I, I think some people can relate of a certain age. My last question That's right. for you, mm -hmm. journalists, who, who do you admire the most as journalists? I can tell you I have a lot of respect for Kyle Clark. He was my guest on episode 100, and I think he's far and away Colorado's news leader on that news leader station. There are a lot of other great journalists, but he's he's the big dog in Colorado in terms of breaking stories and the courage to take his stand. So he comes from upstate New York like you. Isn't he a phenomenon? Oh, yeah, C certainly. He, he definitely stands out. 
as uh, a journalist who, you know, he showed up in my year-end column um, as a journalist who said something like, it's okay to be pro-democracy, right? He is willing to say that. Um, And it's interesting to me, I wonder if you lined up uh, every political reporter or political editor for a news organization in Colorado and ask them that question, to what extent do you believe it's okay for a journalist or one of your journalists to be pro-democracy and say that? How many of them will actually agree that that was all right? Uh, One day I might do a survey and your listeners can check coloradomedia.substack.com to see if I do that. Was that okay for you? I mean, you have nonprofits. Do you have to stay apolitical or how far can you wander around? I'm not a, no, my newsletter is not a nonprofit. I know, but you have support from like Colorado Media Project. Do you have to oh, occasionally sure. pull your punches for fear of offending somebody who you depend on? Oh, uh, I would this is where the hard not. questions start. And have you ever used sure. Chad GPT to say, write my column in the style of Mike Litwin? Or you know what I mean? It's no, but I did ask it to see if it would write one in, in the style of me. Um, and did it? I, I, I don't recall it doing the best job. I'm trying to train. You know, Harry McLean was a guest of mine. He's a great author. And I asked for, write this in the style of Harry McLean. And it did. It did. He's, you wonder when you tip over into that realm, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's only going to get stranger. You know that. Now, are you avoiding the question? But it is fascinating. Write this in the style of Mike Royko or Maureen Dowd. It'll do it. Write it yeah. like Shakespeare. It's a brave new world. I, I and, and everybody who said, well, I'm never going to use artificial intelligence, they're signing up for the latest program, right? Either Grammarly or WordTune. I mean, if you can't beat them, you got to join them to stay in this industry. Am I right? I think the thinking, I believe the thinking is probably changing on that. I did a piece either last year or early this year um, where I asked uh, some of the the news managers at some of the leading news organizations across Colorado how they were reacting and responding to ChatGPT to what extent they had put policies in place for their journalists. I was surprised at some of the what I kind of felt at the time were knee-jerk reactions. Well, we don't we don't need this. We're we're journalists. We're not going to let robots do our job. It's think that um, it is inevitable that, and some people, some of them said this at the time that it's it was it's inevitable that newsrooms will certainly have to be using artificial intelligence in some capacity. The question is, how do you do it ethically? Uh, thinking about it in the right ways, what's allowed and what isn't, that kind of thing. Um, and like I said, using it as an editor, at, I think that, that that's okay for, for me to do for my newsletter. But for content generation, um, you know, obviously that's, that's, that's a little different. How about for style? I mean, there are lots of ethical yeah, for st- questions. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. Would it be okay to say, rewrite this... Um, oh, actually, I did, a, I, I did a test once. I was at the Colorado Press Association's annual convention this year. And I was finishing up my newsletter, and I had 
two journalists who are editors um, sitting next to me at the time, one for the Associated Press and one for the Denver Post. And I said, hey, uh, what do you think of this sentence? Should it be, should I write it this way? Or do you think it looks better this way? And I joked and said, I should ask ChatGPT. And I said, you know what, I'm going to ask ChatGPT and then I'm going to ask both of you. And I think that ChatGPT actually did it in the way that um, they, they said it should have been, and it would have been a change for me to do. Uh, so <laughs> I, mean, I can't remember what the sentence was, uh, but it was definitely like, hey, rewrite this sentence in a way that's, that's more clear or something like that. I stepped on your journalistic heroes. Do you have any? Um, do I have any journalistic heroes? Role models. Uh, mentors. Role models. Role models and mentors. Um, you know, some of my, I'm just going to go with some of the, the editors uh, that I've had over the years that have really helped me, I think, develop as a journalist in my work. So um, at the Colorado Independent, it was Tina Griego uh, and Susan Green. Um, at Columbia Journalism Review, uh, Brennan Fitzgerald and, and Greg Marks, an earlier editor of mine, uh, Dan Cook, and even more at uh, an alternative weekly uh, that I work for. So um, I'll stick with that. Beautiful. And you like being your own boss because every week you get to pick the lead story, right, of your newsletter. That's- I, no, I miss having an editor. <laughs> If that wasn't clear. <laughs> no, but, but I mean, you'd like the creative ability and the executive control. Sure. Like, I make a decision every week. Who am I going to feature? I'm glad I featured you, Corey Hutchins, along with the highlights of my Judge Ludig interview. I'm trying to make a difference in Colorado. So are you. And uh, I wish you a happy new year. Don't you think 2024 is not just another year? It's it's on. Uh, yeah. Anyway, keep up the great work, okay? Tell everybody again, again how they can follow you on Twitter and the best way to subscribe to your newsletter. Yeah, just uh, go to coloradomedia.substack.com. Uh, you'll find somewhere that will ask you to subscribe. And if you want to do that, you'll get a newsletter in your inbox every Friday, rounding up the news behind the news in Colorado. Inside the News in Colorado by Corey Hutchins. Thanks, Corey. Take care. Bye. He's the best lawyer I know because he's my lawyer. He's Michael Bailey. I think you pioneered this mobile estate planning and lots of lawyers are doing it now. And boy, are your clients happy and satisfied. It's convenient for the client. It certainly is fun to be able to go visit people where they are, whether it's at your house or at one of the offices, just to make it more convenient for you. And then it's more fun for me because I get to go out and about and meet people all over the place and help them out. What's the website, Michael? It is mobileestateplanning.com. What's the best phone number to call? 720-394-6887 is my direct line. Michael Bailey. That's our lawyer. Trish loves him. I do too. Thanks, Michael. You're welcome, Craig. Hey, everybody. For all of your legal needs, why not start with me? 734-7156-303-734-7156. 
I've been practicing law in Colorado for over 42 years. And I know a lot of people. And if I can't do right by you, I can steer you in the right direction. My number, 303-734-7156. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims, a voice for people with legal difficulties. Followed her to the station. Are you okay, Troubadour? I'm here. I know. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom, Craig. Happy New Year. It's our first show of the new year. I'm so happy. You tried to break the big news on me that the U.S. Supreme Court scheduled oral arguments on the Colorado case February 8th. I thought maybe I'd be the one to tell you, but I should have known better. Come on. I'm on top of this. Judge Ludig called me. He's the guy who told me, no, not really. But how about that? Judge J. Michael Ludig, what an interesting man. General counsel for Boeing, that's a big job too. It is, it is. And I was impressed with him on many different levels. His commitment to our country, democracy, and the rule of law being top, being foremost uh, in my impression. I know. Quite a man. I think it might be my most historic interview, but then again, I have sound bites on this show from Jenna Griswold back in August of 2020, as she sensed that Trump was going to try to cheat on the election as he ripped mail balloting and that sort of thing. You vote by mail. You know how I know that? Because everybody does. I drop it in that post box. Oh, in Colorado, it's, I mean, the vast majority vote by mail. Right. Well, you, that's the way to do it, and it's fair. No, she's great, Janet Griswold. I remember that, and having just watched her, too, she's a, she's a very solid public servant, isn't she? She's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Colorado lawyers are the best. Jenna Ellis excluded, although she's apologized, right? So did you see the big Colorado news, though, aside and apart from the Anderson v. Griswold case. No. Did the Nuggets win again? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Did you see how they won? Was it in overtime? 18 down with six minutes to go, oh. and they tied it with two and a half seconds to go. Is then there, they got that's the ball amazing. back. Is, that over, is there overtime in basketball? Of course, five-minute overtime. Okay. And oh, then yeah. Jokic got the ball, and they threw it in with they had the ball in the backcourt, two and a half seconds. Gave it to Jokic. She went to a spot just past half court, launched one over a seven-footer, banked it in. Oh. Won it in regulation. Isn't that something? Oh, after Steve Curry taunted him. It was so beautiful. This was last night? Yes. Oh. I've and got- they're playing Orlando tonight as we record. I want you to know I splurged and I have ESPN now. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't watch it, though. Watch it I on YouTube. It. It's so, well so, worth it. it. Okay. I'll check that out. And what about tonight? Tonight they play Orlando. Okay. Palo Banquero. Can you say that? He's, of course. He's my son Sam's age. We watched him wow. the other night. But let's talk about your song, Whatever the Future May Hold. I thought that was perfect for New Year's. Well, yeah. And tell us about the song. That song, the inception of that song, 
was it was a little bit sad a few years back when my mother was um, in in a in a well she was being impacted by dementia pretty badly and we needed to take her to a um, um, like a rehab place where they could work on her meds try right. try to tweak the meds anyway I, I, it was after a visit and I came home and I was pretty blue about having seen her and I thought uh, just I thought about you know looking forward with with hope and with and with faith in in the future and things turning out so that's that was the beginning of that song i feel like we've hit a a moment in inflection point this is the first time we've seen each other in the studio in about a month we took a walk the other day but 2024 i feel like hey it's go time this is it and here we are in colorado in the center of the storm, we got more people listening last week than ever. Your song, Fire in the Hearth, we talked about playing that at the end of the show, but we put it in early, and I put in a lot of ludic highlights for today's show because Scalia, when he said Scalia would agree with him, mm -hmm. that's big. Do you know what I mean? That's what he said. He believed that Scalia would agree with him. It's great to hear conservative judges Weighing in on this, something like this, which obviously does not play to Trump and his and his favor, but against him, but that they do that in their effort to really seek out what the what the, our founding fathers, you know, were had in mind when they wrote these words uh, in the Constitution, this Section Three of of the Fourteenth Amendment. It's a tough legal issue, and. You and I, when we took our walk, we're talking about the political ramifications. Now, Judge Ludig didn't want to go there because right. he's strictly a judge. Right. Can you see? I can see that. How that's a discipline. Yes, it is. But we're Americans. I've never been a judge. I'm an advocate. I want what's best for America. Right. And I understand the argument that it will cause civil unrest. Trump will become a martyr. But what's that got to do with the law? Right. No, that's a very good question, and um, and I think that um, I think it should be it should be taken into account. How what's best for the country? Um, I can put the the legal argument aside, and the reason I feel okay doing that, Craig, is because I think you know Colorado is one state, you know Maine is another state, and maybe some others are jumping on with on on this um, this challenge, right? But um, most states are not going to find the same result, right? They're not going to. They're not going to interpret the law, the Fourteenth Amendment, in the same way. Either they'll say it wasn't an insurrection, or he right. didn't incite it. He was not so-called insurrectionist. There is room for that interpretation. I mean, even though I, you know, I I admire Ludig and and his commitment to to, you know, agreeing with the Colorado State um, Supreme Court. I think the, there is right, argument, a, like you said, strikes and balls, Craig. It's ultimately you're calling you're calling balls and strikes, right? Right, but it shouldn't be based on who's at the plate. It should be nonpartisan, and there is a failsafe for runaway because we are different states with different election rules. But if the Congress says no, Colorado, you can't do it, that's in Article Five of the 14th Amendment. They can overrule Colorado. Okay. So there's failsafe. So what happens if the U.S. Supreme Court agrees with Colorado, okay, and they say you can legally, right, 
constitutionally you can keep Trump off the ballot yes. for, the, for these reasons. And and let's say it happens to four uh, in fo- four or five other states. They right. they follow suit. Okay. Yes. How will that impact the election? How Probably that... not that much because, because Colorado's going to vote for Biden. It's an overwhelmingly pro-Biden state. He won by double digits here, I think, last time. Trump is toxic here. Exactly. Maine, it's a little different. And okay. they divide up their electoral votes a little different. And he might have won one or he has... A chance Illinois may follow, Oregon. Those right. are also blue states. Okay. I doubt a red state will do it, but maybe some judge or court there will. Every state has different laws, so he won't be on the ballot. And then he'll say, I'm a martyr. It's not right. fair. But the thing is, he's going to say that no matter what happens. That's true. So you can't live your life based on his tantrums. No. Unless he wins. Yeah, he even admitted that. It'll be fair if I win. And so the best thing we can do is just follow the rule of law. Okay. And there is this, you know, due process hook, or maybe he's not an officer. I mean, the Supreme Court has a lot of hooks they can hang their black robes on. But you read my column, and you know I wrote that pretty early on, and then... Uh, it got published, and right. Judge Ludig read it, Called and you. I was one of the first who said, maybe maybe these guys are going to turn against Trump because they see what's coming. I mean, like Kavanaugh, he's got his uh, uh, attorney, Alina Haba, going on to talk about it. In fact, we'll play it for the audience right now. Um, This is what Maggie Haberman had to say about the three justices that were appointed under President Trump and potential concerns about that. Watch this. He has also voiced some concern that a court that has, you know, he appointed uh, three of the justices uh, to the Supreme Court and it gave the conservatives a supermajority. He is concerned that they are going to look as if they're trying not to rule in his favor and might rule against him. What do you say about that, Alina? Yeah, that's a that's a concern that he's voiced to me. Um, he's voiced to everybody publicly, n- not privately. And I can tell you that his concern is a valid one. You know, Republicans are conservative. They get nervous. They unfortunately are uh, sometimes shy away from being pro-Trump because they feel that even if the law's on our side, uh, they may appear to be swayed much like the Democratic side would do, right? So they're trying so hard to look neutral that sometimes they make the wrong call. Um, And I just encourage them to really look at the law and the Constitution. It's a very clean cut, Martha. There's no there's no politics that should be involved in this. It's just simply American. And if the justices read the law, as I do, as as most Americans and attorneys do, even Dershowitz, who's a known liberal, um, it's just a simple decision. And it should have nothing to do with if you're a Republican or a Democrat. So I don't know. It's Maggie. I'm a friend. I'm a friend of Maggie's, even though we're on different sides of the coin. But she's right. The president. President's always concerned about people worrying about that. Very interesting. Um, So we'll watch for the D.C. Circuit decision on the immunity, and then the Supreme Court will take up that issue, and we will, on the immunity part of whether or not the president is immune uh, from this uh, prosecution, and then we'll also wait for the Colorado appeal that you say is coming uh, imminently. So um, we'll be watching. Alina, thank you very much. Great to have you with us today. Thank you, Martha. Welcome back. All right, so one week from tonight, Brett Baer and I will sit down with the former President Trump in Iowa.
And you watch that too, Troubadour. She's saying that Kavanaugh owes the president who fought like hell to get him. And do you remember what the hangup was with Brett Kavanaugh? He was accused of sexual assault. Right. And uh, it was a big hubbub. Now we've got Trump, who's going to be on trial again for his rape in that uh, fancy department store in New York of E. Jean Carroll. And he keeps smearing her this week after he's been told not to, after he's been found liable for rape. Another case where he had attorneys and he had due process. The guy's a rapist. He's smearing his rape victim this week. He's an insurrectionist. What are we doing, GOP? So at a certain point, if the U.S. Supreme Court were to say, hey, you know what? We are we are the right wing. We are his own guys, Kavanaugh, Comey Barrett, Gorsuch. If they say, no, you can't do this, and yes, there was a fair trial in Denver District Court. You had an attorney, Scott Gessler. He's right there in the same office building with Silverman. No, Ray, let me let me hold you back. I'm, I want yes. to understand the reach of this U.S. Yes. decision, Supreme Court decision yes. coming up February 8th, yes. right? They, hear, they yes. start hearing. So will they simply, would, would they, if they found in favor of Colorado? Right. Uh, the, 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 um, the, Upheld the uh, ruling by Judge it, Wallace in Denver District Court, affirmed by okay. the Colorado Supreme Court. He would not be on the primary ballot in Colorado. But wouldn't it also, impl- it, it, wouldn't it also it impact would, the rest of the- No. So, but they're saying at that point, the U.S. At but that they point, would be giving a roadmap. So if the Supreme Court, it, it wouldn't be saying, okay, we agree Trump is an insurrectionist and therefore, by our interpretation as well, he shouldn't be on any ballot, right? They can't, they can't no. reach that far. Maybe. They, they might. You're raising a fantastic point because this is unprecedented. It's conceivable, they will say, just like you are, that it's too piecemeal around the country. It will sow chaos. Right. But then what does Article 3 of the 14th Amendment mean? And it has been applied. It was applied to a county commissioner down in New Mexico who went to January 6th. And they said down there, you can't run. You participated in January 6th. I had Judge Bob Orr on because they were trying to uh, get rid of Morgan Cawthorn, that wacky congressman from North Carolina. Remember him in a wheelchair? Right. Lauren Boebert's friend? Right. And they failed in the North Carolina courts. But, you know, Boebert was in on the insurrection, too. So is she qualified? Did you see Lamborns dropped out in Colorado? All three Republican seats are wide open now in the, in the third, the fourth, and the fifth. And you say, what's going to be the impact Trump's going to be on the ballot in Colorado. I would never support Lauren Boebert given her role in Trump's big lie in the insurrection. She should be disqualified. Somebody should move in that direction. And that's going to be the issue. And it's a war within the Republican Party. And it appears that uh, the base, the MAGA base, has the numbers to beat back the rest of the timid Republicans. Guys like Bill Owens won't step up and say this bullshit. MAGA is bullshit. Nikki Haley is better. Or even, God forbid, Ron DeSantis, whatever. Chris Christie, he's an option. Guys on the radio, why don't they say that? I mean, they want to back an insurrectionist. Who would still back Trump at this point? Isn't that suspect? It It, it is. And I mean, 
I, I don't understand it myself other than, you know, people who, who you know, the evangelicals that, that, that are voting because of the abortion issue. I mean, some, some very, some very focused kinds of things, but they're, they're turning a blind eye to his character and all of the things that you alluded to, right, in the past. Rabbi Joe now, Biden was at his ultimate finest, Valley Forge, as we record January 5, talking about January 6, Washington standing up to a monarchy. He quoted Trump, how he wants to be a dictator, says these things, quoted him chapter and verse. It was Joe Biden's finest hour in your face disgrace. You know what I try to do in a trial? I try to win it in opening statement. This was Joe Biden's opening statement of his campaign. That's the way it was built. And he kind of started off doddering. He was up at the microphone looking around like, should I start now? And then his wife came in, sat down. He said, oh, no, old Joe. But then he started and clearly was written down on a teleprompter, but he got into it and he performed. You know why? Because it was in his kishkis when right. he started talking about democracy yeah. and all this shit that Trump has said and all the wrong things. And he manages to do it in a position of strength. The beautiful thing is he's an older guy than Trump. He's not intimidated by Trump. And he speaks to him kind of like the few times we ever got in trouble if our dad spoke to us. He's just the superior man. And Trump can try to respond, but he had a, the facts are on Joe Biden's side. And he's making this the central tenant of his campaign. Even though the economy is Trump, Trump that Trump is a is a threat to democracy. Yes, yes, exactly. Trump is a threat to democracy. Yes, exactly. Well, I'm with you on that. I I worry that the younger voters are just turned off by his, like you call the daughter and the age, of, the the his age, um, despite the fact that he's he pulled off some pretty good policy moves in 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 this whole administration, right? Right. Um, I respect that a lot. I can look past the age issue, but I think a lot of people can't. I worry about it. I worry my ass off. Like the guys promised retribution, and now I've had Judge Ludigon, and he talked about the threats we all yes, face. Yes, he did. Yep. And we look at our friends, probably like the Jews looked at their friends in Nazi Germany saying, hey, this guy's promising to hurt us. Is that okay with you? And apparently it is. It's kind of upsetting. Don't you think? Well, like I said, it's, it's hard for me to, you know, like Ludig also said, the worst thing about Trump is that what happened to so many families and friends, people, you know, friends of 30 years, families, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters and parents. Can you imagine uh, him and his off. conservative Texas circle? Oh, I'm Texas, sure he's been. Big oh, yeah. Circle. He didn't talk about it, but I'm sure he's I'm sure he's talking from direct experience that he's been uh, blacklisted from many of his of his uh, colleagues, right? Right. And that's all Trump is uh, deflecting with now. It's a coordinated Democrat attack. Oh, my God, Judge Ludig is an original Ronald Reagan guy. Exactly. He's praising Ed Meese on my show last week. Right. So come on, it's just bogus. So I'm a little worried, though, because of young people, and I don't understand the way they think in Ohio or Mississippi or Florida, Arizona, Trump could win. And I'm worried that's why your song, Whatever the Future May Hold, 
and you implore God, right. oh Lord. Yep. But at the end, you say it's not organized religion. I think organized religion is part of the problem here because the evangelicals, as you just brought up, it's frightening, frightening. Like you say, 2024, going to be a very interesting year. It already is, and we're only into it five days. And Colorado, right in the center of it. it we are, yeah. What's it, your prediction for the U.S. Supreme Court decision? I'm I'm going 9-0. No, I'm going 7-2. Clancy Thomas and Sam Alito are too far gone, too corrupt, but maybe they want to be on the right side of history. Everybody does. It's not a closed case. Now, maybe they won't wipe them off this way, but Jack Smith will give them an opportunity. Just let that case go to trial in March. Make the refs make a call. If you make the U.S. Supreme Court rule for Trump on a technicality on the Colorado case, maybe we'll get a call on the Jack Smith case. Everybody sees the strategy of Trump. It's obvious you don't have to be a judge to see he wants to delay everything until after the election. Will the judiciary let him get away with that? Will the U.S. Supreme Court sit on the case and kill the prosecution? They can do it. And if they do it, they may kill America. And Colorado gives them an off-ramp if they want to take it this way. Right. And declare themselves free of Trump. The guy has been found to be an insurrectionist in Colorado. We will not disturb this finding. Right. That would be their decision. We will not disturb the finding. Right. Yes. We're not getting... Right. Right. And it would send a massive message, especially if it was 7-2 or 9-0. Sends a message. Or even 5-4, just like the Colorado Supreme Court was 4-3. It just takes a majority to be brave. But think about what Ludig said, too, about the courage of these Supreme Court members. Yep. And, you know, the Supreme Court got broken into, and a guy set a fire and shot off things. Turned out to probably be unrelated, but as we heard it, we all thought, yeah, that could happen. Right. And that's where Donald Trump is really at his worst, and Joe Biden at his best, because he said political violence in this country cannot happen. Yes. Can never be encouraged, and this guy Trump's encouraging it. He did on January 6th. He said it would be wild, and boy, was he right about that. Yeah. So what are we doing, America? I don't know, but that's what we're talking about every week here. We're (laughs) going to listen, and we're in the heart of it, whatever the future may hold. By our troubadour. The one and only Dave Gunders. Thanks, Troubadour. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Craig. Oh, Lord, please help us to move forward with faith and to learn Whatever the future may bring Oh Lord, please help us To move forward with faith And to learn from Whatever the future may bring Disappointment, and there will be pain. 
find our strength again Oh Lord Please help us To move forward with faith And to learn from Whatever the future may bring Must face failures. Let there be successes too. Every day, be it sun or be it rain, help us learn gratitude. Oh Lord, please help us to move forward with faith and to learn. Whatever the future may bring Oh Lord, please help us To move forward with faith And to learn from Whatever the future may bring Successes too, and every day, be it sun or be it rain, may we show gratitude. Oh Lord, please help us to move forward with faith and to learn from whatever the future may bring. My belief It's just sometimes I need a hand I'm looking beyond what I see Oh Lord, Lord please, please help us To move forward with faith And to learn from Whatever the future may bring Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is, you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. 
but like I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep, and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. Hey, I told you this show would be great, and I think I delivered. With the help of our troubadour, whatever the future may hold is an outstanding song. Our guest, Corey Hutchins, he was terrific. Subscribe to his Substack. It's good. I do. Keep up with me. Subscribe, share, tell your friends. Until next time, Ben Micellis. This could be fantastic. Episode 191 next week. Until then, have a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.